0: Good Monday morning. Welcome to a new episode of the podcast, Insanity, a peace of mind. I am your host, Stephanie. I am your happy host, Stephanie. Happy host, because this episode, episode 57, I'm going to take a Detour off of habits and relationships and habits and relationships together to talk about happiness. And I'm not going to talk about happiness in connection with, oh, all the blah world events and all the ways we are sad and all the ways we're lacking in happiness. This is more or less some personal insights, and then some research stuff about happiness, and it's just an overall podcast to help, I guess to help us all figure out how to increase in happiness, and that is not to say it is to get rid of sadness, because I don't believe that is what happiness is for. So here are my personal or a few of my personal insights into happiness. I don't think happiness needs to be instead of something else. I don't think happiness and joy are the same thing. I think we can be situationally happy and then for a long time feel sad or overwhelmed or some other emotion I think joy is more intrinsic and grounding in that it is perceived as a more durable way of being. That's my opinion. I believe you don't have to force yourself to be happy. I believe. People have a lot more control over their level of happiness. And if you find yourself miserable, and I do not mean sad or discouraged or depressed or anxious, but I do mean miserable in an otherwise decent life. And you are struggling finding happy moments. I believe that is more of a choice than anything else. And those are a few of my personal opinions and insights into happiness. I am a generally happy person. Although I don't know that I come across to other people as happy. And maybe that's because, in addition to everything else, people have different ways of defining and or experiencing happiness. I am generally not usually sad. I do rarely, I do rarely, wrong choice of words, I rarely feel terribly discouraged I do feel emotions like overwhelm, anxiety, frustration, um, maybe some helplessness, maybe some, oh, certainly occasional sadness that does creep in depending on different scenarios or how I'm viewing other people's experiences or what my relationship is with other people. But overall, if someone were to ask me and I were to take some sort of self-assessment, I would consider myself a generally happy person. And I definitely consider my life joyful, even with all of its ups and downs, and all the struggles that I encounter. So, those are my first initial thoughts on happiness. And so, I'm going to talk about happiness, but I'm going to do it in a rather um, therapeutic way and kind of talking about the science of happiness. So, the first thing is probably to define happiness and this is a definition from positive psychology i didn't look up to terribly many de- i did not look up to terribly many definitions so i'm just going to go with this one in general it is the happiness is understood as the positive emotions that we have in regards to pleasurable activities that we take part in through our daily lives. So that's a very narrow definition of happiness. And to me, that says it is defined in the context of behaviors, because it says pleasurable activities that we take part in through our daily lives. So that's a very behavioral definition of happiness. Pleasure, comfort, gratitude, hope, and inspiration are examples of some of those positive emotions. And generally, those kinds of feelings, which come as a result of behaviors, help us to move forward and flourish, meaning grow, change, develop, and become something better and more satisfying. So scientifically speaking, happiness is referred to as hedonia, which is the presence of positive emotions and the absence of negative emotions. Going back to what I said, I am not looking at happiness in terms of it obliterating or negating Potential sadness. I think they can coexist. And again, maybe the word I'm looking for is joy. So keep that in mind. And there is a lot of research that has gone into the idea of happiness. There are many people who have devoted their careers in psychology and behavioral sciences and social sciences to determine whether you can measure happiness? And the answer ultimately is yes, you can. They've pared it down to three measures that they use. I agree with two of them and I semi-disagree with one, but again, we might just be splitting hairs. The first one is the presence of positive emotions. It would seem obvious to most people that if they are feeling positive emotions, they would associate that with happiness. On a deeper level, that same thing would hold true, that if you experience positive emotions or if you view your life more positively than negatively, you are probably feeling joy, which as I said before, seems a little bit more, um, I don't know, I don't know that the word is intrinsic, but it seems more deep down in your soul than just being affected by positive emotions at the surface. So the first measure are, or is, positive emotions. The second measure that I don't agree with necessarily is the absence of negative emotions. That's number two. And the other one is life satisfaction, which interestingly enough, I'm going to equate with joy. So the presence of positive emotions, the absence of negative emotions, and life satisfaction. So The interesting thing about all of this is that happiness is a purely subjective experience. It is not objective in that we all believe that the same things bring us happiness. So when you take a self-report measure of your happiness, you cannot report on, you, you can't make that mean the same thing for someone else. So nobody is better at reporting on someone else's happiness than the individuals themselves. If you want to know if you're happy or not, you would have to answer the questions, not have someone else answer them and then assess whether your life is similar to theirs or not. So uh, self-report measures and questionnaires are the most common formats for measuring happiness. And they have several One is called the positive effect and negative effect schedule. There is one called the satisfaction with life scale and another one called the subjective happiness scale. They are the ones that are used most frequently to measure happiness. So if You can measure happiness with self-report assessments. Then there must be some reason to use those assessments, which takes us to the science of happiness. And there is actual science behind what happiness is, how to experience it, and what happy people do differently, and what we can do to feel happier. The interesting thing about the science of happiness is that as often as not, our brains will trick us into thinking that something will make us happy when in reality it does not. And there are books and podcasts and other resource material out there, super fun things to read to kind of dig into that area of how the brain sort of deceives us more often than not into not understanding what things actually make us happy. However, there is a lot of stuff that has been learned about how people experience the sunny side of life and the more joyful, focusing on the more positive experiences In psychology, I'm going to go back for just a second. In psychology, psychology started as looking at the negative things and what was wrong. So with the surging movement towards positive psychology, we're learning that there's a lot of good reasons to focus on that bright side of life. So there have been a lot of studies, and some of the things that we have learned is that if you think money can buy you happiness, you are correct, but only up to about $75,000. Research shows that after that, people who make more than $75,000 have no, in, in experience no more happiness than someone At that marker. And that's because $75,000 is about that critical mass amount that gets you to where most of your financial needs are met and then some. So less money than $75,000, you're probably struggling and you might be a little lower on the happiness scale, more than $75,000. And basically you just want more. And more and more, and you rarely find happiness in your money. Another one shows that most of our happiness is not determined by your genetics because there are some things that do come into play regarding your characteristics and your overall personality types. But most of our happiness as human beings comes from the way we live our day-to-day lives. The activities we engage in, the people we surround ourselves with, our jobs, things like that. Another research-based finding is that when you try really hard to be happy and really hard to find happiness, you generally experience exactly the opposite. And you become expectation-bound, and pretty self-absorbed, and generally pretty selfish, the more you seek out to be happy for yourself. Um, Another one is that trying to find happiness, if you are seeking it out, through community, family, friends, social experiences, That is usually a winner in terms of helping create and increase a person's self-report happiness measures. Um, Another one is, is that you cannot set a goal to be more happy. Well, you can, but they generally don't work because the more specific, well, let me rephrase that. It's probably not useful to set a specific goal in terms of increasing your happiness, meaning a SMART goal or something that has a lot of really specific detail, because the more specifics you seek after in terms of increasing your happiness, the less likely it is that you are going to get there. Again, this has a lot to do with expectations and whether you meet them or whether they are thwarted in your very specific goal to be more happy. So a vague happiness goal is a whole lot better to engage in. Okay. There is also a relationship between religious involvement and worship and happiness. Generally speaking, people of faith and people who exercise that commitment to faith are generally more compassionate people. And compassion tends to be a pretty good measure of happiness. So those are some things that have been learned by researching happiness. And I think they're pretty interesting. I'm going to stop here for a second and just list a couple of books and a couple of things that I have read that are interesting, and I will link them in the show notes because I'm not necessarily going to remember the authors of these books or um, maybe even exactly what they're called. But there is a book called What Happy People Know that I read years and years and years ago that is a really great book about happiness. The Happiness Trap. It's a therapeutic book, but it is also pretty accessible to just about anybody who wants to read it. And it is written by a guy named Russ Harris. And then I have been listening to a podcast called The Science. No, it's called The Happiness Lab. And it is done by So Santos is her last name and she is a professor and uh, teaches at Yale and she is basically a happiness researcher. So those are some great resources if you want to start to just familiarize yourself with what happy people know. So I've noticed some interesting things in in sort of tracking how people listen to this podcast and what episodes they listen to, which ones get the highest listens and that kind of thing. And just superficially, what stands out to me, and I'm going to make a broad generalization, is that people like the podcasts that help them with their problems. So boundaries, self-awareness, parenting, mommy martyrdom, relationships, those kinds of podcasts get a lot of listens. And as I track them over a length of time, the numbers bear out that they eventually end up to be the highest listened to podcasts. The podcasts that don't appear to be problem solving, get fewer listens. So my guess is people see a title, they say, Oh my gosh, I need help with that. I'm going to jump right into that one and they see another title and it doesn't feel like it resonates with them. And so they skip that one. And the irony of that, as it relates, especially to this podcast on happiness is that the podcasts that get the least amount of listens are preventative podcasts. They're the ones that incorporate behaviors that will improve your overall well being, which then means you are in a better space and place to be a better parent, be a better partner, feel more secure and safe in your own sense of self, that you create boundaries that improve your relationships. But what it looks like is that people want to have problems first and then get them solved instead of engage in the kinds of things that prevent the problems in the first place. And so I went through and looked at the list of podcasts and these are not necessarily the least listened to, but these are lower down on the numeric scale. And I want to bring them up because they are all podcasts about things and behaviors or actions that you can engage in that will increase your happiness. Some even say that. So the first one is episode nine, moving into mindfulness. And this is one of my intro podcasts to mindfulness because mindfulness is a way to change your relationship with your difficult moments or your difficult emotions or your difficult life experiences by creating awareness in a non judgmental way of the experiences or emotions that you're having. Mindfulness also changes your brain. And the reason this is important is because it is entirely possible to train your brain to increase your ability to experience happiness and so mindfulness as a regular practice and I mean regular more days a week than not for as much time as you can commit will increase your ability to experience happiness the next one is episode 17 and it is why and how mindfulness works So it is getting a little bit more into the science of why this is a true statement that happiness literally, or excuse me, mindfulness changes your life. And that one is a good one to give you the resource material and the, the background information to increase your willingness to dedicate some time to mindfulness. Episode 35 is creating savoring rituals for increased happiness. That title fell flat, apparently, because that is one of the least listened to podcasts, which is so funny, because it is an actual exercise designed through positive psychology to increase your ability to experience happiness. and not just happiness through behaviors, but happiness that can be translated or transferred into joy. And really not very many people listened to that one. The next one was episode 37. Why resilience is important for a happy life. Same thing. Um, Exercises specifically created and outlined to help people experience more happiness and more resilience through their behavior. And the final one is episode 43. It was the Thanksgiving episode and it was cultivating gratitude. And I chose the word cultivating for a very specific reason. I didn't say being grateful. I didn't say gratitude. I, the word I chose was cultivate because cultivating gratitude by engaging in grateful behaviors, which the podcasts podcast lists fairly specifically, scientifically has been proven to increase your emotional well being and your happiness, which I translate into joy, because gratitude is one of those more is one of those deeper, more intrinsic, existential feelings that permeates even the most difficult times of life. So it looks like people would rather have podcasts that solve their problems than prevent their problems, which I found to be really interesting. Now, let's jump into how it is possible to train your brain for happiness. Okay, there are some genetic components to a happiness set point that we may be born with, and those are about 40% of our happiness. So that's your genetic makeup, personality type, family history, you know, what kinds of things run in the family, cheerfulness, that kind of thing. And then having enough the food, having shelter, and safety are, interestingly enough, only about 10% of your happiness. That means we have about 50% that is completely up to us, meaning it is how we interpret our life. The first thing we can do to train our brains for or towards more happy experiences, is through awareness and exercises that create more optimism, more happiness, and more resilience. Weird. I just said that, didn't I? And so there are new discoveries in the field using positive psychology that show physical health your psychological well-being and your physiological functioning are all improved as we learn to feel good. So it's easier to talk about how we can train things out of our brain to increase our happiness, because we are people who spend a lot of time ruminating and simmering in cognitive distortions or negative thoughts. Cognitive distortions being we perceive the world through these lenses that are not helpful to us. So one of the cognitive distortions or thinking errors that we have is this idea of perfect, excuse me, perfectionism. And We need to get rid of our strong perfectionist traits because they're not really serving us the way you might justify having them makes you think they serve you. So getting rid of our perfectionist thoughts means we sort of decrease our expectations and we alter them to be more realistic. So this would look like, okay, let's use perfectionism in, I don't know, school, all right? I mean, this is an easy place for kids to be, or to think they have to be perfect or to practice their perfectionist skills. They have to have perfect scores. They have to get all A's. They have to have the best of this and the best of that. And those expectations that they impose on themselves or even that are imposed on them by other people creates this impossible standard to live by. And so that first B or that first 90 or something like that is not only an opportunity for you to feel bad or maybe decrease in your positive emotions and increase in your negative emotions but it is and often it often it is devastating and devastating emotions are not creating happiness so you got to get rid of perfectionism and train that right out of your brain the other one is Comparisons, social comparisons. When we compare ourselves to other people, we will always be disappointed. This is not a good way to be happy. Because the other thing that is really fascinating is that human beings rarely compare themselves to people who are less fortunate or less than or somehow inferior to whatever it is they're comparing. And it's hard to engage in healthy social comparison but if you can what that looks like is finding what you admire in someone else and trying to strive for those same qualities but that's not what we usually do so we want to train out of our brain social comparison the other thing that people think make them will make them happy but generally will not, is materialism. So we want to get materialism out of our brain. I don't know how we do all of these things, but we want to. So if you are attaching your happiness to external things and material wealth or possessions, that's a pretty dangerous way to hook into what you think will make you happy because the minute we lose any of that or alternatively cannot obtain it, we are left with this void of dissatisfaction. And that does not increase happiness or happiness experiences. Okay. Another one is basically a lack of gratitude or entitlement, we'll call it entitlement. If you believe you are entitled to things that you are, let's say you're getting them regularly and you feel pretty good about what you have, what you can achieve, what you can get, what's yours, that's all fine until it's not. And then when it's not, you are left basically feeling crappy about what you don't have or what you can't get. And it is hard to be satisfied when you cannot constantly obtain new things or new relationships because entitlement is not just about things. Entitlement is a way of thinking that makes you think you deserve more than you have. Another one is maximizing the maximizer will always search for something better, even if they're satisfied. This is why the money does not bring happiness past about $75,000 is because maximizers always need more. And when you always need more, you have very little time to be okay with what you do have. That could mean a relationship. That could mean a home, or even a car. You may not have the best car. You may not have your dream home. You may not be able to buy everything you want. But if you're satisfied with that, instead of trying to maximize it, then you will not suffer from ingratitude and the idea of always pursuing something that you cannot obtain. Well, the question then is why would we want to do these things or experience more happiness or be more happy or do the work that requires us to engage in more activities or more behaviors that increase our experiencing of happy, pleasant emotions? And that would be because happiness and a better attitude about life have a lot of positive health things that we can enjoy. For example, happiness is linked to lower heart rate and blood pressure, as well as healthier heart rate variability. Happiness acts as a barrier between you and germs. So happy people are less likely to be sick. People who are happier enjoy greater protection against stress, and they release less stress hormone cortisol into their body when they are actually stressed. Happy people have fewer aches and pains. They don't strain muscles as frequently, and they don't have heartburn. Happiness acts as a protective factor against disease and disability. These are general statements, nothing, you know, there's still health concerns for everybody, there's genetics and other things that contribute, but happiness does provide a barrier. Those people who are happy tend to live significantly longer than those who are not. Happy people make other people happy. We tend to pick up on that when we're around happy people. A portion of happiness is determined by genetics, but there's also room for adjustment and for improvement in the way we think, the way we act, and the way we and the way we live our lives. Those um, relationships. Oh, it is much, it is much better to be in a relationship in order to increase your happiness than to have money. Happier people tend to wear bright colors. And who knows if that's because happy people pick bright colors or because bright colors make people happy. I guess it doesn't really matter, right? Happiness helps people cope with arthritis and other chronic pain better. Happiness is contagious. When we spend time around happy people, we are generally happier. That's why we would like to cultivate happiness. So I'm going to leave you with actual things you can do to increase your ability to experience happiness. And I don't know how many I'll get to. Some of these have already been discussed in the podcasts that I listed before. Others may be new. First one, for genuinely happy people, Genuinely happy people feel gratitude. They appreciate the good things in their lives, even when things aren't going exactly the way they want them to. Happy people express the gratitude they feel. They thank people. They share it with people. They look for ways to tell people what they are grateful for. A hug, a pat on the back, a smile, a note. Express gratitude. Genuinely happy people live in the moment. They do not worry about the past or ruminate or fret. They don't jump headlong into the future worrying about what's going to happen, being anxious. They just realize that only the moment they're in is the place they can truly find happiness. So they don't get caught in either the past or the future. Happy people are kind people. They're considerate. They're respectful, they help other people, and they're generally pleasant to be around. They stay away from gossip. They're not jealous. They do not waste time complaining. Happy people use positive language rather than negative language. They find positive words to express themselves. They focus on what has, is, and can work rather than the problems in their lives. Happy people smile. They smile a lot. They make eye contact. They have pleasant body language. Happy people have a good-natured sense of humor. They don't use sarcasm or cynicism. They laugh at themselves as easily as they laugh at other things, and they don't take things too terribly seriously. Happy people are spontaneous, or they can be spontaneous. They try new experiences. They have Fun. they're adventurous. They're not super rigid and locked into just meaningless routines. Happy people are adaptable. They look for ways around an obstacle rather than lamenting that the obstacle is there. Happy people can see obstacles as opportunities for growth. They can be appreciative of the sex the failure as well as the success of trying a new thing. They know that sometimes they have to do something different to get different results. They can go with the flow and modify their behavior whenever they need to. Happy people in their adaptability learn from their mistakes. Happy people are optimistic. They generally think positively. Not always, but generally. They can be hopeful about the future and that they believe that things will work out even when things seem very hard. Happy people value cooperation over competition. Happy people are more inclined to think in terms of us and we, rather than me or how can I get ahead or better my coworker or my friend or my buddy. They don't mind sharing success. Happy people are also enthusiastic for other people's success. There is room in this world for everybody to succeed. We do not have to lament or criticize someone else's success, even if they succeeded at our expense. Happy people are curious. They have a decent amount of interest and they like to learn and they like to grow. Happy people generally prioritize spiritual things over the materialistic things that do not last. They're not comparing themselves with their neighbors. They're not trying to get more than their friend. They're not trying to climb the corporate ladder in an effort to be better than someone. They live within their means. They don't worry about getting more. They prefer to be in relationships with people, have family and friends. They like to enjoy things and they value experiences over possessions. Happy people are good listeners. They communicate in a productive way and they take the time and the energy to listen both verbally and visually and visually, meaning non-verbally, and happy people recognize the importance of hearing different perspectives and are actually willing to be influenced in order to learn something new. I'm going to end with that. There are more. But what I found when I was reading this list is how much overlap there is in so many of these things that are true characteristics of a happy person that I have already talked about in one podcast or another. So I didn't tell you these characteristics of a happy people so that you can say, oh, that's so great. I'm none of those things. Or I only have some of those things. I listed these characteristics so that you can turn yourself towards these characteristics. People who are happy have these and people who want to be happy, engage in these. So it goes both ways. So I want to see more happiness. I would love to see people engage in experiences in ways that create more overall positive emotion. I'm kind of rambling here, but I want to wrap it up in a way that sort of takes it back to what I started with. I don't believe happiness has to, can all, I do not believe happiness can only exist if you are not sad. I don't believe happiness can only exist if your world is perfect or everything is going well or whatever it is you're looking for. I believe happiness can exist even when things are discouraging and life is pretty heavy and things feel overwhelming because cultivating it and increasing the amount that it shows up in your life is a reservoir for you to draw on when things feel discouraging. And again, I might I might look at the distinction between the words happiness and joy. I don't know. That's something you can contemplate in your own experience. It's time to be proactive and create more opportunity to have more positive emotions and therefore experience more happiness. I'm pretty sure that makes sense. The Dalai Lama supposedly said, happiness is the highest form of health. And have a good week. Mm